Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. We started this series last week called Go Local, uh, about bringing Jesus to others uh, in our everyday, ordinary lives. Uh, Now, in order to sort of uh, unify us in the need for this, I told you last week that really you need, we need this if you would say this. Uh, I believe that Jesus is the way, but I never tell anyone. And I have no real or definite plans to do so. I have no real or definite plans to do so. But I believe that. So our whole congregation is now engaged in this after last week. Uh, I would call it our growth edge. And I I hope you see it that if you can figure out how to be effective at that, the kinds of things that will have to change about your life would be the same as if we came in here and just did a series on you growing spiritually. So I hope you'll make that connection. And it's been pretty cool to see we've got Groups going, got studies, new people involved. We had prayer this past week, which is very, very powerful. Uh, I believe we can each be more effective at this. And I think the focus on it this semester will help us do that. Now, we're going to get very, very practical coming up. We're going to get very, very practical. Uh, But before we do that, last week and this week, taking a step back, sort of looking at the spiritual operating systems in us, and uh, at least in my head, we're sort of checking two gauges in our life before we get sort of real earthy and practical. Checking two gauges. The first gauge we looked at last week, it's more of a pressure gauge. Uh, I don't have the clicker, guys. Can you run that for me? So uh, the first one is more of a pressure gauge. I know... uh, this is a gauge I see a lot at our pool in the pump. And if I, if I don't, if air has gotten in the system and there's not enough pressure going on, then I, I can't get any of the spouts to push out water in any direction. We said last week, essentially, one of the first systems you got to check is your spiritual life, that you have this sort of uh, awesome dynamic in relationship with God going this way, but it has no, no push, no force outward. You don't wake up every day on mission. And if you looked at that gauge in your life, the truth is it would, it would read low in terms of pressure. In other words, outward focus energy. You have this relationship with God, but then no focus. Uh, the other one, uh, my son called me uh, last weekend he was driving around, and his uh, water gauge on his vehicle got hot. And, you know, he's like, what do I need to do right this second? You know, what do we, how do we need to handle that? And so I sort of walked him through that. Um, uh, second gauge is sort of a temperature gauge, which is the one we want to focus on today. You've got to read both these gauges in your life. So this gauge is sort of... Uh, you're overheating. Maybe you're mad. It's in sort of an internal anger. It's probably 
very few people who haven't expressed that at one way, shape, or form at just where the world is going, where culture is going. We're bent out of shape over uh, beliefs, truth, morality, politics, a lot of angst, a lot of anger running around. So the truth is, we're hot. I mean, atheism is in. Uh, believing in truth or morality or God is, looks a little foolish. It doesn't look very rational. A completely different time frame. And the people on both sides here are extremely vocal. And it gets your blood boiling when you hear what's shared and you see all that's uh, going on and it get under your skin. You attack or you just shut down. You've either just said, I'm done or you attack, usually from a distance, usually verbal grenades tossed to and fro, you know, through social media. You find some way to get an outlet. I told Nick, he was driving his car, I said, Nick, when it's reading hot like that, you've, you've got to turn it off. You've got to get onto the side of the road. You've got to deal with that immediately. You're going to blow the whole engine. You can't run this hot. Be effective for God. You can't run this hot and not lose everything. So if you're running hot, you're probably blowing lots of steam, but the odds are, the odds are you're not effective in the world that God's trying to reach. You're not effective. You're just on the side of the road. So this is a gauge we need to check. Now, there are two characters uh, an Old Testament character and a New Testament character sort of mirror each other. And uh, we're, only gonna, we're primarily going to look at the Old Testament character and we'll, we'll just sort of at the end brush over the New Testament character because they're, 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 they're practically the same. Um, but I want you to notice something about both. Uh, they feature prominently in their stories. And they frustrate God to no end. These are guys who blow a lot of steam, but they're not effective on the mission. A lot of steam, not, not effective on the mission. The Old Testament character is a prophet. New Testament character is a sibling. You don't expect it out of either of them. And here's two things about them. The first fact is, uh, you're not sure in either story, you're not sure if they ever get off the side of the road and get moving again. You're not sure. This is a very incredible thing. If you're running hot, be careful of this. It's very, very possible. You might not ever get going again because the jury's out on both. We don't know if they recover. And then the second fact is, they are harder to reach than the most depraved persons around them. Now, you think about that for a second. You should be thinking, oh, Lord, I hope I'm not that guy. Or if you know for a fact that's your guy, you need to listen. Or that, you, you know, you're running out. So, as we look at the Jonah, I want us to see how God deals with an overheated heart. 
How does he deal with an overheated heart? Uh, if you go to the end of Jonah, and I'm just going to read this to you. We've got other verses to look at. I just want to read this part to you because I want you to see how hot he is. God says to him, do you do well to be angry? It's a question to Jonah. He's angry. Jonah goes out of the city, and he sets up a booth to get some shade. And uh, God then appoints a plant to come up over him and provide shade for him. Now, you don't know what's going on. If you don't know the story of Jonah, that's okay. Just right now, I just want you to see a hot guy. He's just a hot guy. Uh, Then the Lord God appoints this plant, comes over Jonah, gives him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But by the dawn of the next day, God appointed a worm that attacks the plant and it withered. And when the sun rose, it beat down on Jonah's head. And God brings not only a worm, but an an eastward wind that's scorching hot. He is overheating. He is hot in every way. When they get to the end of it, Jonah says, says, I'd rather be dead. And God says, again, do you do well to be angry because of this plant? Now, it has been a joy to look at this story, even though I know the story inside and out. I've taught the story inside and out. I've taught it for many years, looking at it afresh. It was very, very powerful, and I will tell you, very personally convicting for me. Because I've had moments where I sort of almost want to check out I just want to be the hot, steamy guy on the side of the road, blowing a lot of smoke. Maybe just want to give up and quit because everything is just out of control. So, let me take you back through the story real quick and get you back to this moment where Jonah is upset and hot. Okay? Real quickly, uh, remember the beginning of the book is like this. The word comes to Jonah. God says, arise and go to Nineveh. It's a great city. Their evil has come up before me. God knows their evil. And Jonah goes, instead of going to Nineveh, these are Assyrian people. These are evil, evil people. This is uh, sort of just a little outside of Mosul right now. This is Iraq. So the Ninevites, really, they they are the ISIS of their day. Violent, brutal people. So Jonah says, I'm not going anywhere near them. And he goes to Tarshish. But what he's really fleeing is the presence of the Lord. And he goes to Joppa and he jumps on a ship. Uh, Tarshish is 2,500 miles west, opposite direction. That's as far as you can go in the civilized world in Jonah's time. And of course, the geography, and it tells you, all right, I don't know everything that's going on here. All I know is Jonah and God are not on the same page. That's clear. He's miles from the target. So, he gets on a ship. Remember, uh, gets on this ship, and this ship's out to sea, and things go really bad for the ship, and they, you know, being a, their culture, they're like, all right, one of you guys is a bad guy. Somebody's bad here, and they're trying to figure out who it is, and they can't figure it out, and they realize it's Jonah, and he is asleep in the bottom of the boat. 
So Jonah doesn't care about Nineveh, and he doesn't care about anybody on that ship. He's asleep during the crisis. He has checked out of the crisis. And it's interesting that they, on the ship, say, you know, you ought to pray because maybe your God will care about us. It's interesting that that comes out of their mouth because it doesn't come out of Jonah's. And so they throw him overboard. Uh, they throw him out. And what you realize as soon as that happens is Jonah's a problem to everybody. He's running from Jonah. He's running from God. Now the ship doesn't want him. He becomes fish bait. And pretty soon the fish doesn't want him. It pukes him up. He's making everybody sick. Nobody wants this guy. That's what you're realizing. And what's beautiful about it is there's a moment while he's in the fish, which has rescued him. The fish is a rescue. There's a moment where he goes, Lord, oh, no, what would I do? I'd be dead if it wasn't for you. And there's a great verse at the end of uh, uh, chapter 2. He goes, those who pay regard, this is what Jonah says there. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. If you choose another God, here's what you'll miss out on. You'll miss out on God's love. Here's Jonah in the moment of his crisis, worshiping God for his love, thankful in verse 9 for what God has done for him, and then in verse 10 actually says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's a mouthful, Hillside. That's the point of the whole book. Who's in charge of salvation? How do we get it? When do we get it? Who gets to have it? Who decides that? Right out of Jonah's mouth. It belongs to you. Well, I think it's easy to be the Christian who thanks God for his salvation. then doesn't really have a heart of compassion for the salvation of others. And that's what we're seeing. Now, you know, you're like Jonah. Maybe you've given up on the people around you. So, anyway, fish pukes him up. God says, I told you to go to Nineveh. Go, he goes, he preaches. It's an incredible, you've got to read chapter 3, very short When the king announces that he's going to repent of his sin, the verses on that are amazing to read. Listen to that king's repentance. They even put their animals, their cattle, in sackcloth and ashes. It's like they think everything ought to repent, even if it's an animal. It's awesome. And God, and this king asked the same thing that the ship captain asked. Maybe if we repent, God will move his anger from us. That's what he's hoping. And at the end of chapter 3, I don't think I have it up there. Let's see what I have next. No, that's not it. Uh, When God saw that they did that, that they turned from their evil way, he relented from the disaster. And he had compassion. Now, you'd think the book would end right there. That's all God wanted. The whole point of the book was, Jonah, get there, preach, because I'm, I'm trying to reach probably the worst people here. Worst people around, I'm trying to reach him. That got done. So you'd think the book would end there, but it doesn't. It gives us this incredible 
window into Jonah's heart. It's almost awkward to read. It's the kind of thing you go, I can't believe anyone would ever want to have a transcript or a video of their sort of session with a therapist. Because that's what it is. It's a session with a therapist. It's almost TMI. Okay? And if I know what that is, you better. It's awkward. But it's included because God says, now I got, I got, a, I got a bigger fish to deal with. Jonah. I just reached, for all practical purposes, ISIS. I don't know if I'm going to reach him. So it's an incredible window. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, right, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you would say, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really believe in God, I, I, I'm I might be curious. I don't know. I don't even, you might even really not know why you're here. But you're going to love this chapter. Because you're going to see the things in Christians that you hate, God hates them too. The things you see in Christians that you hate, God hates them too. And you're going to be like, yes, finally. Somebody letting these Christians have it. Teach them, God. And so it all comes back to, because you're like, why did he run? What was the real issue? And here's what God says in chapter 4. Here's how it starts. Jonah's really mad. And he's angry. And that's the theme of the book. Five times anger. And the word anger means hot. Burning. Hot. Literally hot. Inflamed. He prays to God, Lord, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do this. I knew as soon as I went to Tarshish. That's why I didn't want to go. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew you were gracious, merciful, slow to anger, loving, and you would relent from this disaster. You would relent from wiping them off the face of the planet. Wanted anybody wiped out lately? Because if you've wanted anybody out, wiped out lately, or you're running really that hot, then you just might as well just sit down in therapy with God, because you're about to go into therapy. You're like, okay, there's a lot that we could talk about here theologically, but let's just go here. Lord, you're too compassionate. I'm going to tell you, it's really hard to be God because it's either he's too loving or he's not loving enough. We're mad at him for one or the other, right? I've heard Bill Maher here lately say, God's not loving enough. Read the Old Testament. Well, Bill, you have to read the whole Old Testament. And you can't have a simplistic reading of it. It's a complicated issue, but I understand his point. Sometimes it looks like in the Old Testament, God's not very loving. And then I heard Sam Harris recently say, God's too loving. The kind of God Christians, he's too loving. The most evil person ends up in in heaven. And so it's really hard to be God. Have you thought about that lately? It's really hard. So here's what God says, or in verse 5, actually he says it in verse 5. Uh, he says, do you do well to be angry? He looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Is this a, is this a good thing? Is this going anywhere? Is this going to accomplish anything, this anger of yours? That's sort of the idea. 
Now, you need to know, Jonah's a nationalist. I'm going to speak right to an issue, and he's right here, and it sort of emerges. And Americans can relate to Jonah as well as anyone can. We're a privileged country with rights and morals, because Jonah's a part of Israel. They have all that, covenant relationship, rights, morals, laws. They can easily see themselves as better than everybody else because they know how to live and they have this relationship with God. And Jonah knows that in the future, because he's friends with some other prophets who are around him, by the way, who will eventually, who eventually prophesy that the Assyrians will eventually take over Israel. This group, maybe the next generation, because this group repents, but this same group of people will eventually invade Israel. Not long from this moment, and Jonah knows they're going to eventually get him. And God is saying, why are you going to let them do that? Why are you going to jeopardize our future? Why are you going to jeopardize our relationship with you, our future, our morality, who we are? And that's where we are. Everything's up for grabs now. And you're like, God, you ought to protect the, the few who are on your side. And we're mad at anybody who isn't. And it just reveals his his prejudice and his selfishness and his exclusivity. Uh, He's, listen, he's overprotective of things that God is about to take out of his hands. And I wonder if God needs to take them out of ours. Quit worrying about the future of the United States. Quit worrying about your future morals and how you're going to help your kids go to get through education with this sort of moral climate. I mean, sure, those are issues you got to face. But at the end of the day, is that, is that the end of the world? There are other cultures who have it far worse than we do. Jonah has a very narrow worldview and a more narrow theology. It's like he does not trust God for his future. He does not trust God for where things are going. And he's abandoning the mission to protect things. And in protecting things, he's forgotten people. They are number one on his heart. It's convicting. Von Rad, one commentator, calls him a religious monster for that. And I've been digesting that and going, is that, is, is that a legitimate Characterization? A monster? We'll see what God has to say. Because he, he looks okay to me. He looks like he stands on the right. It looks like he's worried about history and the flow of it and the future. It looks like he's worried about right and wrong. And good and evil. Sounds like our kind of guy. So God has to give him some, you know, plant therapy. Sort of plant therapy. He builds his little hut and he gets underneath it for shade. And God says, I'll do better for that, Jonah. I'll just make, I'll make a big plant for you. It rises overnight. And it gives him shade. And, but then God brings the worm the next day. So Jonah's really happy about the, he's really happy about the, he's sitting outside the city, by the way. He's gone outside the city and he's overlooking it in this little hut. And what he's hoping for is that God destroys it. He's just sort of looking at it. Get him, get him. Oh, in his little hut. Wee little man was he. That's what I picture. 
Worm comes, kills the plant. Jonah's mad again. Now Jonah's angry again. And one minute, Jonah's like praising destruction. The next minute, God, he's mad at God for destroying the plant. And then you get to verse, uh, this is where he's, verse 9. God asked him again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now you're angry for the plant, Jonah. And Jonah, this is Jonah, this is, who, this is us in therapy. Yes, we do well to be angry. Do you know all the reasons I'm angry? They're all good reasons. And I'd rather be dead than to deal with this. This is the ultimate checkout. God is basically saying to him, Hold on, hold it, Jonah. Can I, can I stop you right there? So you tell me you pity the plant? Which you didn't labor for? You didn't make it grow? And it's only been here a night? And immediately, immediately, you know, if you're the reader, every commentator points this out. How quickly our hearts get attached to things. Stuff, sides, opinions, territories, views, quickly, stances, and comforts, and ease. Don't make it hard for me to raise my kid. Don't put my job in jeopardy. Don't make it harder for Christians. That's Jonah's beef. Take anything away that's kind of easy and we panic. And everything's at risk. And we're panicking. One commentator said this about Jonah. If you think about it, that was a great observation. I hadn't seen this before. But you think about all the places Jonah sought, sought shelter from this reality. First, he tried to get it in a ship, and God took him from that. Then he tried to get it in a, in a fish, and God took him out of that. Then he tried to get it from a hut, and God took that from him. And then he tried to get it from a plant, and God took that from him. And here's what God's basically doing, just shattering all the little places of comfort and shelter and security you keep running to instead of him. And God's just shattering those beliefs, those ideas, those thoughts, those, that, that desire for comfort and ease. We want to be right in our little hut. We want to be right. We want to win. Afraid that it's too hard to live as a Christian. We're trying to protect something. And God is interested in the people. He's interested in the people. So here's the end of the book. Jonah says, God says, should I not pity Nineveh? You pity the plant? The great city in which there are, God knows exactly how many people are in there. He knows that they're, they're in a spiritual fog. They don't know up from down, left from right. And the word pity 
literally means tears in my eyes. Jonah, you'll get attached to anything. I'm not attached to anything, God says. I, I don't need anything. I've chosen to attach myself to those people. I created them. You didn't have anything to do with that plant. These people, I'm wrapped up in them. And I love every one of them. Can you imagine hearing that? So if you're standing outside the city and the culture and you're looking in on it and you just can't wait till God brings down the hammer, then you're Jonah. You do not have God's heart. That's not his heart. Rosaria Butterfield says this in her book, All Our Staff Has Read. It's a punch in the gut when I read it. She said, instead of feeling sidelined by the sucker punches of post-Christianity, Christians are called to renew the resolve in Christ. And then she writes this. Too many of us are sidelined by fears. Fear that people will hurt us. Fear that people will negatively influence our children. Fear that we do not even understand the language of this new world or order. Least of all, it's people. We long for days gone by. Our sentimentality, she says, makes us stupid. That was tough to hear. We need to snap ourselves out of this self-pitying reverie. The best days are ahead, she says. Jesus advances from the front lines. That's a powerful statement. And then she says this, and it is... If you have strong words, strong opinions, and strong beliefs, beliefs, but weak relationships with people who are on the other side, you're violently careless. You're violent. That's what Jonah's trying to, that's what God's trying to say to Jonah. And she'll say this. Love the sinner. Hate your own sin. Do you want to hate sin? Hate your own, because it's your own sin that will do you in, not anyone else's. That's not Jonah. So what we learn in the book is, number one, God saves. He saves everyone, when, where, and how he wants. Salvation comes from him. It can come from nowhere else. That's what he's saying here. Then the other thing he's saying is, I'm sovereign. I'm in charge of all reality. You're not in charge of where the world is heading. And sit around and mope over how hard it's going to be. So quit fighting, quit arguing and from a distance and get up close to the people in this world and love them. Listen, serve. Live out your faith. Isn't that what Jesus did? What did Jesus do when he went outside the city? When he overlooked the city of Jerusalem? He wept for it. Oh, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I could have gathered you. That's what I wanted. It's a completely different mindset. Outside the city, Jesus dies for those. You worried about having it rough? For the people that you love or the people that you're in the world with? And see, the book closes with this. You don't know if Jonah ever gets it right. Same with the prodigal son and his older brother. The prodigal son is the first character you hate in the story. By the end of the book, who do you hate? That older brother, the snot face, the snot face religious person who's worried about what he's going to lose because his brothers come home. It's always self-centered. What do I have? What's going to go? What am I going to have to do now? How hard is it going to be? Got to learn new language. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to watch this. Got to be careful of that. Can't say that. Who knows what's going to happen there? We're all panicked. Meanwhile, we're not thinking about people. The older brother, when God, God has to leave the party celebrating the lost kid to come out and argue with the older brother, try to convince him to come into the party. And this is what I was overwhelmed with in both of these stories. How much time has God wasted with us in therapy? At the end of the day, you don't know if the older brother goes into the party or not. God leaves him standing at the front door. And in both times, you don't know what happens. We know what happened to the prodigal son. We know what happened to the Assyrians. We do not know what happened to Jonah, and we do not know what happened. It's only one time in my life when I could feel a little bit like Jonah felt. I'll close with this, and then... When I was in high school, I was 17 years old, and I worked for a, uh, an insulation company. A buddy of mine got me the job for the summer. One of the worst jobs I've ever had in my life. I was one of the youngest people. There was all these men, part of it, crews that would go out and put insulation and all kind of different insulation. I learned everything about insulation. It was a nasty job, you know, and new guys, fiberglass. I go out with the guy who's hardcore and he's just fiberglass guy. And it was a guy who was about 21 years old. I was 17 and he was probably the coolest guy, but he was the most immoral, most evil guy on, on the entire crew. He was a very intimidating person, tattoos all over him, which at the time we were like, tattoos. And then, you know, the language, he was intimidating. He avoided anybody with any sense of right and wrong. He hated the company. And man, our paths, all I got from him were looks. I never had to work with him. Big old snake on his arm. I think they called him Snake. And this guy was a rough character. Well, I kept my nose to the grind and started to do a pretty good job for that company. Cared about it. Just being a believer. And at the end of the summer, they sent him, another guy, and one other man to Kentucky from Miami to finish out a school. You know, insulation on the top. You know, the, the decor kind that goes on a ceiling. I'd take all the asbestos out of the school and put all that in the school. Well, The, the, the head guy walks off the, the job because it's a pain in the neck, issues, 
probably dealing with these two monkeys. He walked off the job. I come in one morning at the end of the summer, and the boss says to me, Pete, I'd like to send you to Kentucky. Got a job there that isn't done. I got Snake there and his other guy. Need you to run it. I, I don't think I'm the guy. I don't think I'm the guy. Long story short, we end up having to share the same hotel room for seven days. I'm 17, he's 21, lived a whole lot more than me. First question out of his mouth was the next morning. He didn't speak to me until the next morning. I got up, opened my Bible. He wanted to know what that was. We spent seven days together. This man that was distant from a distant snake, evil, represented evil in the company. Nobody wanted to be around him. I mean, he, we were light years apart from each other. But you got us in that hotel room together where we could actually talk and I could start to hear his story and listen to him. And, and then he would invite me to think, you know, it was a dry county. You had to go out of the county in order to get beer that these guys wanted. And they'd invite me along. I said, I'll go with you. And we would go get the beer, bring it back in, and they'd have it in there. And meanwhile, we'd have conversation. By the time we left there, we were like this, two friends. I had shared my story with them. I shared Christ with them. I shared, and we were like buddies. Then we had to drive in a truck home. I flew there. We had to drive in a truck all the way home. And I'll never forget hugging him after that trip and thinking, wow, what a difference between the distance and now I've been sharing this room with you and what a difference. He didn't give his life to Christ that day. We had a great moment. Go to college my freshman year. Come home my freshman year. I'm sitting at the dinner table. It's the, end of, it's the end of the summer again. This is a whole full year gone by. Haven't seen him. I was never going to go back to work there. That was it. Phone call comes in. My grandmother answers the phone, hands me the phone. Somebody's on the phone for you. Snake? You know a Snake? I really don't know any snakes. I answered the phone. Hello? He goes, Pete, I don't know if you remember me. Worked at the insulation company. We spent time together in Kentucky. I just want you to know right now that I'm about to share my testimony for the first time in front of a group of people because I've given my life to Christ. That's what he said. He said, I wanted you to know because of our time spent together. I'm floored and dumbfounded. Floored and dumbfounded. I realized from a distance, it's easy to throw stones, be judgmental, be prejudiced, sit outside in your little hut, protecting all your little morals with your cold, with a cold heart. And feel good about it. Literally look at God if you're Jonah and go, God, I have every right to feel like this. I don't know if you know what's going on in our country. And I don't know if you know where it's headed. And God's going, Jonah, I care about the people. It's the people in it. Get up close to them. I'll show you how to reach them. But you'll never do it in a little hut. All mad. So here's the thing I want to ask you, and I, no games. If, if you've been listening, I'm going to ask you right now, how many of you would say, Pete, I'm like Jonah today. Let me see your hands, because I know there's plenty in this room, because I, 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 I battle it. I want you to stand to your feet. There's a little 
bridge to a song Chris brought up. It's a song called Hosanna. It's a little older song. You've heard it before, but the bridge in it is a very powerful thing. I think it qualifies as perhaps a prayer we could pray before we leave. He's just going to sing that. Uh, You sing it with him as you catch on just a couple times through, but make it a prayer uh, as you sing it. Okay, and if you're here today and you're like, man, so glad the church is hearing that kind of message. Maybe that's you. Well, don't forget this message. God loves you, no matter where you've been or what you've done. It's the only reason we and anyone in this room has any hope. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.